The Energy Transition Podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift, with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital. Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition Podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors, emerging technologies, and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development. Welcome to the Energy and Transition Podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. We are coming to you live from the CorvaCon 2023 of the offices of Corva in Houston, Texas. I am joined with a special guest host today, Mr. Walker Moody. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Josh. Thanks for having me. I won't do a uh, who our other my co-host normally is because I I think I might have given the impression that he was dead during the last uh, introductions. Well, I did think you were hazing me today because I, I arrive at their Corva's awesome offices and there's a, but I didn't see the main building. There's a Christmas fair going on across the street. And I thought this was a massive, <laughs> epic haze by Josh to say, oh yeah, come come with me and co-host this. And I see 400 people coming out with Christmas. That's right. We're running a nutcracker factory now. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, speaking of technology, nutcracker technology, we are at a uh, technology fair. This is an interesting deal. So I've we've done a couple of these podcasts today. I've learned a ton, and I'm going to bring our honestly. You and I could just keep talking. This has been a great podcast so far. We've done <laughs> so. What we are, we're at Corvacon 2023, and you're gonna we're gonna have other podcast episodes where you can go and listen to what this is. But it is a it's really a demo day. It's a it's a it's an event that they throw annually. This is their largest one, and we'll introduce you guys in just a second. And what this is is where different technologies come in and they talk at where Corva brings in not only talks about their technologies, but also the technologies of their partners and the partners that they're working with. Um, this is their largest one they've ever had. So on that note, let us bring in. We got William Fox with Corva. Welcome, William. Thank you for having me. Are you? Uh, how long have you been with Corva? Uh, I've been with Corva for 12 weeks. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I'm the new guy. Well, would you like to introduce our special, your special guest, really? And my special guest is Tino Haddad of Neighbors. Yeah. Glad to be here. Thank Tino, you. how are you, sir? Doing well, doing well. Now, did you guys know each other before you got started in this? No, no. I got, I got hired to be uh, the general manager for this predictive drilling suite of applications we developed, and Tino is... Yeah, I'm an operations manager over at Neighbors. We were working on this integration since uh, the deal was inked in February. Okay. And uh, Will got brought into the team, and we've been working together closely since. Okay, nice. So can you give us an example, William, when you say this this suite? Can you just tell the audience what that means exactly? Yeah, so Corva uh, you know, is a platform for developing uh, apps. We've got a great system for data acquisition analytics, and... Um, We've been focused on viewing things, and now we're going into creating apps that actually provide automation. And so uh, Predictive Drilling is our first uh, predictive app. It uses uh, a drilling AI that's been trained over the last five years uh, to basically recommend the best set points 
to achieve uh, a high rate of penetration while drilling without breaking the bit by mitigating vibration. And all that works best with automation from neighbors. And so instead of just recommending the set points through our partnership with neighbors, we're able to tie in directly to the rig, to the rig floor, and execute AI-driven set points to drill the well safer, cleaner, faster. Yep. Yep. So what we've learned real quick before you get going on that, I want to hear it direct. So we've learned that this is not just marketing style AI, right? Right. This isn't just cool sounding things. We're like, oh, we've got AI and it's just a chat bot type thing, right? This is true <clears throat> artificial intelligent thinking generative AI. Yeah. So uh, this, this AI, we, we've had five years of R&D on this. Uh, we've got... Uh, about six PhDs who've spent the last five years training 11 or 12 different approaches. And what we've ended up with is this multivariate objective function AI. It's running in the cloud, in the core of a cloud, on real-time data from the rig. So we're getting WITSML feeds of uh, you know uh, parameters in the rig. We're getting vibration data. And we're getting data about the tools themselves. And every minute, it simulates every possible combination of set points for that rig to execute to achieve the highest ROP and then sends it back in real time to control the rig. And so that, that AI is continuously running and simulating every possible parameter concentration, and it's been trained on hundreds of wells in each basin to see, if I do this, this is what's going to happen in this rock across hundreds of wells. Um, and it's doing that autonomously uh, in real time. Okay, so when, when you guys say it that way, that makes it sound like, it's so easy. It's so easy. It just handles it. I have one of those Nest thermostats right. in, our, in our bedroom, Chanel and I. And so it's supposed to learn your habits. And then inevitably I wake up and it's a rainforest and, and, and I'm, I'm asking God to kill me yeah. um, and lost seven pounds between one and 3 a.m. Guys, what are, what are some of the challenges that it has taken to, for you guys to surmount in order to get it to where you just said, hey, this is great and it does all these things every second oh we've yet to turn a drilling rig into rainforest so we, <laughs> we cleared that hurdle strong um a lot of it came down to just kind of getting some buy-in to begin with i mean there was of course certain tweaks certain uh, adjustments to the model once you take something from you know r d and put it into into use you're going to find some bugs you're going to find where it breaks um the corva team was very nimble and responsive i'd say within the first two or three wells which would be the course of you know two weeks they had 60 80 percent of those bugs pretty much cleared up took a short break came back about a month later and uh i mean the product worked very well very well right off the bat um from there a lot of it comes down to adjusting for user behavior adjusting for how they want to interact with the system and um setting up the interface where they can use it effectively and, and i think you know it's garbage in garbage out just like any other code and i think Neighbors, uh, this collaboration with uh, neighbors has fixed three three key things. So one of them is data quality. Data quality, data quality, data quality. That's what Corva is all about. They've got high quality data in their rig cloud system. They're aggregating it all up, standardizing the mnemonics and sending it over. And this AI is useless if it doesn't have good data coming. So that's I've heard that a lot today. I've mentioned that I'm, I'm learning a lot today. We all are. <laughs> so the da the, your, da your data quality. Now, is that something that you guys have been focused on prior to this? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's uh, one of the core pieces of our rig cloud business. So, that's going to be EDR, a lot of uh, rig sensors, sensor aggregation. 
as well as access offsite for uh, sending out and receiving data. So it enables remote operations, gets guys off location, um, helps drive some of the efficiencies. Sensor data for us has been kind of a key component to making sure that data quality is high and it's it's usable outside of. So how long have you been with neighbors? Uh, 12 months. Okay. Just over a year. Okay. So the reason I'm asking that is it's clearly this, none of this is a three month, you know, a 12 week or a 12 month operation, right? These are both wheels that have been in motion for quite some time, right? Uh, so strategically neighbors has been cleaning data for a while. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Their strategy, what, 12 years ago, three years ago was, we know this is coming. Let's get this right. I mean, what do you know? Can you share any of that information? Yeah. So, uh, over the last few years, I mean, decade or so, we've been working on driving forward some some automated services. Right. Uh, that comes down to uh, Rocket being one of the first ones, the oscillator to make sliding more effective, uh, more efficient. Uh, from there, there's been a few different pieces built, and now we're looking at the rig overall as, as a platform. Okay. Uh, the same way um, like iOS would be on your, your Mac or Windows on your computer, you would have the ability to, you know, call memory, call the fan, uh, on the rig would be calling top drive and telling it to do this or that. Um, with the different automated pieces we've built, put that in the platform and we start bringing in third-party experts, uh, other services, and we can kind of combine all that to really drive efficiencies in the drilling operation. And, and key point that you said there, it's treating it like an app store for the rig, which means that... Um, there's no other hardware. We don't have to do anything else. They've already got everything there. It's an over-the-air update, and it seamlessly integrates with your recipes yeah. that you guys have already got programmed in the system. Well, the reason I'm asking about it is, like, this is the Energy and Transition podcast. And I'm, I'm curious to know, again, back to Walker and I's history, like, we've heard about the transition, right? This, you know, energy in transition, the energy transition, et cetera, is a, it's a, the, it's, those are, terms that matter, right? And how you use them, but there's lots of ways to transition and efficiencies, et cetera. And I'm one that's, I'm very curious. And it sounds like neighbors said, Hey, things are going to have to change, whether they're through new technologies, new fuels, et cetera, how we do this. But it really does sound like there was a lot of development years ago that data and integration of technologies, efficiencies was going to be something that you guys looked at. So that's what I was wondering, like how long ago did you guys set, set these wheels in motion? Yeah, so I mean, it started kind of piecemeal, uh, taking individual projects and you know identifying where that could be automated. And over the last decade, it's turned into a uh, kind of unified strategic direction. Yeah. Wow. Well, guys, if you think about it, I'd laugh. We think about two years ago, no one really talked about, or three years ago, Bitcoin. AI, I feel like AI just hit with chat GPT where my son who's 14 was like, I can do a paper immediately now. And I'm like, I'm no, a better writer than you, dad. Wait a minute. Hold off. Um, guys, if we think now where you, where this partnership's going and what y'all are able to do with AI at the drill bit, fast forward five years from now, what's, what's happening five years from now based on what you guys are doing today? Well, maybe I'll, I'll, one thing that we're, we're looking at, and obviously this has to happen in collaboration with partners like Neighbors, but also with the, the operators, the oil companies, is building on this high-quality data and this sort of platform for AI that we've built. What else can we predict? What else can we automate? So we're already looking uh, with our customers at building in predictive alerts for things like, it's okay, it's time to pull the BHA. 
you know, the, 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 you're at 85%, it's going to pull it out, right? Uh, we're looking at things like, hey, we're detecting auto driller dysfunction. Go ahead, and uh, if you don't tell me not to, I'm going to mitigate it. And then five years from now, it's going to be, I mitigated it. It, ha it was about to happen. We fixed it. Um, mm. And, you know, the, the human is still in the loop in the sense that uh, they're being alerted when they need to be alerted. But today, human very much in the loop, except for on-bottom rotary drilling. Five years from now, who knows? I mean, there could be all kinds of additional automation, all kinds of additional um, <clears throat> um, dysfunction avoidance that is being handled in concert between the rig machinery and the AI in the cloud. Um, and we're starting to develop some of those things today. This also feels like a uh, case of perfect timing where the idea was probably there, but the technology couldn't catch up to what we wanted. Um, you know, Corva, from what I've learned, is... You know, it has technology, but it needed the APIs. It really needed the people to start collecting data properly, I would think, right? And then not only collecting it, but then wanting to put into the API, <clears throat> excuse me, the APIs that would then feed into your system to where the aggregate could then give information that mattered, timely information. So, I mean, can you comment on just how technology, how quickly it's all come together for you to be able to do what you need to do? Yeah, that's, that's to either one of you guys. Yeah, I mean, we're... Uh we're not that distant from geolog, the just kind of written down paper sheets of, of data reading uh, over the last 10 years. I mean, trying to pull data from 10 plus year old wells is, is almost impossible. What you can get is, is not very clean. It's not manicured. It's not managed. I mean, Corva has really driven forward a lot of this data management. Having that database available um, in the last few years makes all of this possible, right? Without that good, clean data set. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, uh, in 2011, two jobs ago, uh, I was on the team at National Oil of Arca that was trying to create uh, a new control system that was going to go on existing rigs, just like SmartOS is now, and allow you to basically deploy apps. And, you know, the technology, the, the capability or the possibility of doing what we're doing now, with the exception of AI, existed 10 years ago. But the will the drive, the demand from the customer to do it didn't. And the other piece that's come a heck of a long way just in the last 10 years is uh, data quality, data transmission from remote sites. So mm. today we've got Starlink. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, we might, we'd be, might be lucky to get 80% uptime and you got, you know, one megabit, you know, <laughs> one megabit up. And uh, if you're getting a phone call out on some rigs, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's like, oh, we want to send the morning report. Okay, call the rig and tell them to turn off the TV. <laughs> because we got to send the report in. So the, at least the AI piece of this could only happen with the uh, remote data availability that we have today uh, from the providers that are out there now. Well, that's interesting. I mean, and, and William and I were speaking about this before the podcast. William was an Army officer um, and served in Iraq, and thank you for your service. Um, and when y'all are talking about this, it makes me think how back 20 years ago, um, Air Force pilots flew planes. They still do today. We have a lot of drones in the air, and those are flown from Nellis Air Force Base and outside of Las Vegas. It feels like we're getting to a point where you're almost going to have a rig command center, right? Where is that where this is going? You're talking about being able to transmit data from, from long distances, thankfully better than a few megabits. Uh, so is that, where, is that where this is going? So today, demanding is kind of already going on uh, in my previous role with Baker Hughes. I was involved in... Uh, 
working with MWDs and directional drillers off location. I filled that role in some for some time myself. Uh, today, we're building tools to make that system more efficient. Um, <clears throat> at that point, it was, we're going to pull them off, give them a VNC license, and they're going to figure out how to make it work. Um, today, we're building in the automation, building the tools, building in more effective communication flows and workflows to, uh, one, take, take them off site, and two, like you said, turn it into a command center where they're supporting multiple jobs, they're supporting more, more effectively, getting the proper alerts, um, being able to apply focus where it needs to be and, and kind of set what set to the side what's what's not important at the time. Yeah, and, and, you know, one of the side effects uh, of this automation is that it removes thousands of interactions that that driller would otherwise have had to have. Mm-hmm. Even with an automated rig, today without some kind of automation like this, they're being asked to constantly go, you know, change set points, turn things on and off. So everything we can remove that's a distraction allows that much more focus on other things are safety. And then to your point earlier uh, about not just demanding, but okay, if we can drill, there's been a lot of optimization in the last couple of downturns, right? But if we can still shave another day or two off of that well and save a bit, uh, every day that that rig is not there is diesel that's not being burnt. It's uh, trips on the road where people aren't driving off the road. So, I mean, anything we can do with this that helps efficiency has those downstream effects, uh, not just for cost, but also for avoidance of you know, uh, safety incidents and emissions. Makes sense. We're in this, these remote rooms, like, is there one active in your neighbor's yes, headquarters so right now? For us, we've got a few models. We have ours. Uh, we can completely handle it for a, for an operator. Uh, we support them as they build theirs, um, and, and staff them themselves. There's kind of mixed models with that, uh, hybrid offsite onsite kind of setup. So, there's a, a variety of options for how that's So that's one of the up. things I heard, this is a maybe, let's say, it doesn't matter, seven years ago, eight years ago, back when BOPs were the rage. <laughs> I'll never forget a guy telling me in 2014, he said, it'll be seven years before you sell another BOP. I said, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He was pretty close. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that was a brutal conversation. That sounds horrible. It was horrible. I now It's fluid as now, but anyway, I digress. So... Um, the there was a uh, company that was they got into the world of basically renting large BOPs right and I called the CEO of the company once they signed the deal it was a huge deal a lot of press was taking place and I called him and I said hey congratulations I said this is a big deal and he said you know he goes thank you and he said uh, this is one of those things where we talked about it forever uh, he said nobody wanted to be first and he said everybody wants to be second. <laughs> So and I love I never forgot that line. I'm curious now that you've set this up and this is working. Uh, how is it? How is it taking? How's the market receiving this? I'd say there's there's a lot of seconds. <laughs> um, we had some very strong firsts. OK, though, uh, very supportive first. Excellent. Really good data to begin with. And uh, I mean, the response and the growth and the interest is uh, it's it's been yeah, I've been I, strong, been strong. I, I, I 100% agree. And, uh, you know, word gets out. Uh, and I I feel very lucky to have, have joined at a time when uh, the end of five years of development and a year <laughs> of, and we're turning it on and it works really well. Uh, and so, you know, we were on uh, one rig in August, we're on five today, and we're probably oh, wow. going to be on okay. 12 by the end of November. So it's it's That's snowballing. Fast. Yeah. It's very fast. Yeah. Okay. And I think I think people see it. They it, it looks familiar to them. It's right there in the HMI. Uh, 
drill those first two or three stands and it works. Okay, we're good. We're off to the races. So, What are the challenges from this point on? So, you know, listening to five or 10 years of development sounds like sticking your hand in a blender, right? Like that sounds horrible. And William, obviously born with a map to the right place at the right time. Like oh, I've just been here 12 weeks and now it's wonderful. Look what I did. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? What are the challenges going forward? Scale, support, those kind of things. But as we build in workflow, uh, build in the, uh, the interface more effectively, uh, a lot of that comes comes a little easier i mean i'd say overall the integrations for us is very simple for the driller they're going from five to ten thousand interactions in a well to manage parameters to one to two it's an on and off button um as they get more and more comfortable with that that becomes easier and easier and, and less work to support each individual when you say job. that as they get more comfortable with that what do you mean just as more comfortable with leaving it on letting it do its thing there's there's still a uh I mean, I guess if you got behind the wheel of a Tesla with auto drive, you're going to keep, you know, you're going to white knuckle for a while. And then eventually you're going to get to that's the an point interesting that, point. That like having to, like having your child, you know, learn to drive a car and you're in the passenger seat. And you don't know if you want them to get on I-10 or not. You're grabbing yeah. the steering oh, wheel. You're, you're slamming the brake. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, once they get to that level of comfort, that it's just, you know, the system turns it on. We actually have it in our recipe to automatically turn on after making a connection. Um, once they get comfortable with that, it, you know, frees them up to keep the rig running, manage the crews, uh, you know, do more of their job besides pressing buttons. Yeah. How do you, how do I say this? Uh, is it, is it easier to teach? How is your workforce receiving that? I mean, I, I, I want to think that people understand like, Hey, you know, we are in a different time today. Everybody has a smartphone, you know, Tesla's are pretty widely accepted. If that's a, that's a great example. You know, I would imagine the workforce is like, hey, I've got to accept new technologies. Yeah, I think I think the reception has been good uh, across all demographics. And, uh, you know, it's a key point, though, which is we've got to get out there and there's no substitute for being there in person and sitting down with the, the company man and the driller and saying, OK, this is what it's doing. It's not just a black box. It's obeying your rules and your limits. Um, we just need you to set, you know, here's your max, here's your min. And let's sit here together and, and get it dialed in. But then after that, we're going to ask you to, you know, let her eat, yeah. uh, as they say. Uh, and so that's that's been working pretty well. And I think the other thing for us scale-wise is that this R&D team, you know, has gotten uh, uh, sort of almost a factory for uh, models built. And so as we go into other basins, so we're in three basins today. but Which basin? Uh, we're in uh, the Permian, the Bakken, and uh, the Haynesville. Haynesville. Okay. And three different types. It's great. Yeah. Okay. And so as we go, uh, you know, international, as we go other places, North America, South America, we need to build models. But now that is a, uh, a couple of week process. So mm -hmm. as long as we got we, as long as we can get about 50 wells of data in the system, then we can build and train a model uh, for each new basin and operators might make their own model. Uh, but so that had been a, a big hurdle before. But now with the automation they've built over the last couple of years, we're able to iterate that much faster, um, you know, as we as we scale out. Guys, when you know, it sounds like you've been, Tino, you've been there a year. William, you've been there twelve weeks. If you think about people that are considering an energy career today, you know, young persons in school right now, I assume this wasn't on y'all's list when you were getting out of college or getting out of out of the army. What what could you tell them about the opportunities 
that you guys are seeing being at the tip of the spear on this technolo technological advancement? Well, I'll, you know, for me, when I got out, it was uh, uh, energy or a plastic bag manufacturing company. And I went energy. And also it was in Austin. And my wife was like, we're going to Austin. But uh, what I would say is uh, hydrocarbons and fossil fuels are going to be part of the mix for the earth for a while, possibly for a very long time. And this is an industry, at least my experience, and I'm happy to hear what you guys think, but if you put your hand up and say, yes, give me more responsibility, uh, the ability, I was a history major. I don't know, you know, what am I doing, you know, as GM of an AI thing? But, you know, as a history major, I was able to say, you know what, I volunteer, give me that software product, give me that repair shop, we'll figure it out. And every 18 months, you're going to get a new opportunity. And if you put in, you're going to rise and get something you like. Uh, and I've seen that every company I've worked for. So I think this is one of those industries where it's not some sort of stratified tiered thing that's you can't move around, you can't do different things. You are going to move around, you are right. going to do different things, and it's exciting and rewarding. So I, I think it's the best energy, uh, the best industry, pardon me. You're right on both, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I came out of college with a petroleum engineering degree, so I kind of I, I made my choice early. I, I saw the uh, expected salary relative to the other options. And you had AI on your brain exactly. from the moment. Exactly. You were very early in thinking yeah. through it. And someone said something about downturns. Ah, well, I'll figure it out. <laughs> I got I'll that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd say today compared to what it was when I started, which, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, isn't all that long, 13 years or so. Um, you've, you've experienced maybe the, some of the roughest 13 years possible <laughs> since the 80s. Good yeah. work. Uh, Your timing I mean, is there's, suspect. There's a, a reason I don't need haircuts anymore. Um, but, uh, it's, I mean, what, what you can get involved with, the kind of technology you can, can work with, the kind of skill sets you can develop. It's, it's very different than kind of what you may have thought of the industry a while back. Um, very, I mean, we're here talking about AI, data management. These are, um, cutting edge technologies and it's it's a fun place to work and and if if it's relevant here it's relevant anywhere any other industry you know any kind of manufacturing any kind of automotive this is coming automation is coming everywhere to everything so. you know that's i will tell you uh we had your cto on um an hour or two ago and he basically said that if you're not doing it was really i made him repeat it because it was pretty powerful uh, he said, if you're not doing something with generative AI right now, that in 12 months from now, it means something meaningful, not just chat GPT. <laughs> your English paper, your history yeah, paper. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Something meaningful with it for your business, then you will be left behind by your competitors that are doing something with it. And he said, not only that, you're going to miss one of the opportunities in time to do something special. He said, that's how monumental this, this moment is. And he wasn't saying it for effect. He was just saying it because like, I mean, I truly believe he believes it. I, I do too. If you've played with any kind of AI world and what it can do and it's, it's changing things that, that seem routine just from the layman's perspective. I don't know how it's changing the world of the finance world that you guys are playing in on a daily basis, but it's, it's just changing so many jobs. I don't see how it doesn't continue to, to move forward and change a lot of different roles for companies and this digital transformation that's taking place is just, I mean, I, I, I don't really have a question. 
I have a question. Okay. That was a, that was a great lead in to a real question for the interview, I believe. Where do I put my hands? Yes. <laughs> Guys. So, one of the one of the problems though, Josh is 100% right. This is exciting, but we we are dealing with industry that's been around for over 100 years, right? And we have people that um, are not necessarily change agents that sometimes run the companies. So if you guys were had a magic wand and could give advice to one of your best friends that runs an upstream company today, and and maybe along the lines of what Josh is saying, what would you tell them to dive headfirst in right now um, in order to make sure that their company is successful? Well, so from my perspective, if I had that one piece of advice or that one wand, I would say get control. And uh, in the past, maybe as I think some other speakers may have said, the efficiency wasn't there it's there now you know we're under capital discipline and it is table stakes now if you want to be around in five years to have control of your data and be using it every day to improve efficiency and improve automation and I, I agree with the uh, the other folks if, if you're not doing this in five years you're gonna belong to somebody else so you're saying you talk to your buddy at the EMP company and you say hey make sure you control and own your data that's right and are using it Okay. You know, because how many times do you, it, we have we're drowning in data, and it nobody's looking at it. You know, so uh, I could get, name a million cases of this, but that would be the, the takeaway: is get control of it and use it for competitive advantage. Great Tino. point. I I absolutely agree with that. That's uh, oh, Tino, you no, you know, yeah, on. you can't get away with that. No, F plus, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your, your other friend, you need I, another I, friend. I sneak through college. <laughs> <laughs> So no, because right now let's say that your friend is saying, you know what, we've we've done these things. We're a family-run oil company. We have forty thousand barrels a day. Um, we've done pretty well over the last seventy-two years. Why would I start doing this now? <laughs> so, I'll just say, you know, what are, what are you paying for? What are you paying for? You're paying for somebody to haul oil, and they say the truck's full, or it's not. Or, or what? You're paying somebody to haul your water away. You're paying somebody to pipe your water away. Do you, what do you, are you, do you even know what is generating that bill? And the answer is we all know you don't. The data's out there. It's not being aggregated. It's not being used to check. Just one example. And, you know, in a previous life, we found that in general, 10%, 10% overbilling or, uh, you know, roundup on every invoice to an EMP. And the, nobody can check that manually. You, you could hire 40 people and you still couldn't do it. But with data... If you can clean your data up, you can write a few simple rules, like we're doing here for drilling. Uh, that is real move the needle. That's money. That's money. big time. That's uh, money. Yeah. You know, so just one example. Yeah. I mean, stepping forward further with demanding, really embracing these automated services. I mean, even for the small operators, the single, you know, single rig or, or partial year rig operators are going to get, they're going to benefit from the efficiencies that we've developed with those larger operators with a full fleet that we have access to. Um, you certainly could bring in someone that, that can really drive down your, your well, hopefully, or your, your well cost. Hopefully um, we can do it effectively with what, what we have automated. We can move guys off location and, you know, reduce risk, reduce costs. It's a pretty, it's pretty powerful sales, but yeah, big, big win safety overall. and money. Yeah. Those are good, good deals. Well, gentlemen, they are the the natives are are restless behind us here. I see a bunch of people eating ice cream and pretzels, but I I is there anything that I've missed that you would like me to touch on here? 
think we hit a lot of the high points. I mean, we're, we're incredibly excited about uh, what we've been doing here. Yeah. Um, it's exciting a, to listen we, to it. We've got, got it sounds different. I printed them out and handed them out with my Halloween count candy. Just to, <laughs> you know, the, I bet the, you were a popular <laughs> house. Oh, I'm, of course. Can of I course. get you in an automated <laughs> rig today? Uh, yeah. No, I think I think we hit the high points and uh, we're excited about it. And uh, we're excited about what other uh, things uh, neighbors in Corva can bring to the market together in the future. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank well, you for having us. Wait, hang on. I, I did my I would be doing our friend Dan Pickering a disservice if we did not ask. I'm not going to do the whole lightning round questionnaire, but I will ask one of his questions. And that is, and everybody has to answer it. It's uh, the one word response. It's not a, so we typically do 10 questions per, but we're just going to do the one because he asked one that's consistent. Will the Houston Texans make the Super Bowl in the next 10 years? We'll start with you, Tino. Is that, I, is there money on this? No, no, no. no. Okay, I've already been... broken the one one word <laughs> yeah, answer rule. This is I'm, I'm going to go with no. no. <laughs> okay. It's it's highly unlikely. No. Meg, you have yes. If if the Astros can go from a hundred losses True. to World Series, you know, th- at least two or three times. What? Yes, the Rangers did win. Last night, last night, I'm from Dallas, so that was a big deal for me. I know I love the Strohs, but it was nice to see the Rangers win. Well, gentlemen, truly, you wait, guys, you didn't, you didn't answer. No, I don't answer. I've just asked. I just really laugh every time. To be honest with you, my favorite part about it is looking at the Dan's disappointment when somebody says no. <laughs> That's my favorite thing. When somebody says no, he's like, okay, okay, thank you. We'll so, pass this along too. Yeah, so. Guys, thank you for coming. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks thank for you having, having us. us. Thanks, guys.